Whoa, that's not supposed to happen. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on this, uh, at least for me, it's a wonderful morning. It's already pretty hot here in Armenia. And as you can see, I have with me Mr. Brett Conkle. Uh, I just want to introduce Brett a little bit. And, and then we'll just jump straight into the topic uh, because we have about an hour and want to use that as best as we, we can. Hello, everybody. Thank uh, you for joining us here on this. Uh, so Brett used to work for Stand to Reason with Greg Kokel. Um, and I always find it strange in a way. Both of you guys have this uniquely sounding last names. I'm sure you've heard, <laughs> you've heard that quite a bit. Um, but uh, Brent has ever since kind of moved on to a ministry that he started called Maven, and he's wearing that that really awesome looking uh, sweater right there. Uh, if I was wearing that right now, I'd be melting. I'll tell you that. Uh, and if you guys uh, want to check out any of the ministry he does, there's a podcast, uh, there's the YouTube channel, there's the website. All of those link this uh, the descriptions. Um, sorry, the links are in the descriptions box below. So for the audience that you guys can go check out what Maven does and um, and how it works with students. Specifically, it's very unique that uh, Brett works with students and uh, we'll let him give us uh, kind of his take and uh, the history of that. So before we jump into Mormonism and the subject, uh, I want Brett to give kind of a rundown of his ministry, what he does um, and um, how, you know, kind of the aim of that within kind of the apologetics world. So Brett, go ahead. And, uh, and share your thoughts there. Yeah, well, we started Maven two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, our goal was was actually to to be a little more broad than than just apologetics, because I, I mean, God has just given me a heart for young people for the next generation, particularly for the the, the kids and the students that are in our churches. Because what I've seen over the last 25 years is that we are just not discipling our kids well. And so they go off, uh, they get into high school, they go off to college, and at least intellectually they're checked out. And oftentimes by college, they just walk away from, hmm. from their faith. And, you know, depending on what surveys you're looking at, it's at least half of our students, if not more. And so I think we're just hemorrhaging students. And so. I think we definitely need to give our young people good apologetics. And at the same time, our apologetics needs to be more worldviewish, right? We need to not just do the kind of the classical philosophy or religion stuff, but we need to add to that uh, cultural and worldview issues. So I think for a lot of our young people right now, uh, their worldview is slowly being undermined by an alternative view of sexuality that the culture is offering and it, it's it's not even it doesn't even have to be an explicit kind of attack on the bible or on christianity it's just that there's this alternative vision of sexuality all the lgbtq you know issues and it, it there's just a cultural narrative and a cultural story that just over time chips away at the Christian view of things. And so a lot of our people over time, a lot of our young people over time just begin to think, man, that church stuff, what I hear at church is just, it just seems more 
and more implausible. Hmm. So that's really, I mean, that was one of our passions for starting Maven was to be more worldviewish, engage with the, the hot issues of culture, and at the same time then undergird our young people with solid apologetics. And, uh, and, and then the secondly, our second target audience is really equipping parents and youth leaders and pastors to do the same thing. So that, uh, yeah, so that, that, that was really what was behind Maven. And for people who are always, you know, wondering, people always ask me, well, what, what's a Maven or, you know, how'd you come up with that name or what's that stand for? Well, a Maven is, it, it actually is a Yiddish word mm. and it means, or it refers to someone who is an, a knowledgeable or an expert in a certain field. And then they seek to pass that on to other people. Mm. And so it just captures what we want to do. We want to help pass on Christian knowledge, the truth of the Christian worldview to the next generation. Yeah. Creating um, apprentices. That's that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So, so you have a big family. I want to, because you're speaking about, um, you know, young people and a lot of apologetics is geared towards, you know, college students and above. I, I you know, your family dynamic has had to, right? has had to have impacted. Uh, uh, so how many kids uh, for the audience who don't know you, uh, how many children are in your house and um, how chaotic is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, um, uh, we have five kids and uh, my oldest is 25. I have a 19 year old. I have a 17 year old. I have a 13 year old and I have a nine year old. Man. So all spread out and, um, yeah, you know, I think they they are the reason why I really do what I do. Um, I am passionate about equipping them and their generation, and so we are we're, we're trying to do that with our own kids primarily. They are the, the 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 kids that God has entrusted to my wife and I, and yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of chaos. Um, there's a lot of noise. In fact, who knows? In the middle of this this stream. You know, that you may see a child walk behind me on accident. <laughs> you may hear, you know, someone yelling in the background. Yeah, uh, but I, I have three, but they're way younger than that. Um, it's probably even louder at your house then. <laughs> <laughs> I was sharing with some friends the other day how since, uh, since becoming a dad and having kids, random noise bothers me. And I don't listen to certain kind of music I used to. Because it's just like I I just prefer like classical and kind of more mellow music because uh, because just <laughs> it's noisy everywhere and I, I I can't take you know <laughs> let's let's turn it up and kind of you know uh, the the way that um, at least I used to so how did you get how did you get introduced uh, to Mormonism kind of interacting with Mormons how did this even become an interest for you you know. Yeah, well, it happened when I was in college. Uh, I did my undergrad at uh, Biola University, and my second uh, year at Biola, a buddy of mine, hey, you incredible mission trip during spring break. So Biola had this spring break mission trip emphasis, and he said, "We're going to Utah." And he said, "I, I went last year, and so you, you know, you got to come with us." So he convinced me to start going to the trainings. And I went to the trainings and uh, the guy who was training us uh, was, you know, he was he was taking us deep into theology. Like I had never had this kind of teaching before, even grow, growing up in the church. Mm. I mean, he, we were going through the Trinity. 
Uh, he was helping us make a biblical case for the Trinity. We were going through the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so the training is all theological for this mission trip. So then we go up to Utah and basically we just put ourselves in all these kind of situations where we got into conversations with Mormons. And so we did evangelism with Mormons up there in downtown Salt Lake at uh, BYU uh, and, you know, door to door, all this kind of stuff. And it, it was just a, it had such a huge impact on my life. Hmm. And I think there was a, a, just this tremendous growth theologically in my own knowledge of the faith. And then tying that together with the, the, the mission of the New Testament church, you know, to go and make disciples. And so we're sharing Christ with these Mormons. And, and so it just really brought head and heart together. And it just, I, I really see that trip as being uh, very pivotal in my own discipleship. And so I was going into youth ministry and was studying at Biola to do youth ministry. And I, I said, gosh, I, I've got to do this kind of thing with my own students, mm. not wait till they get to college, but do this with high school students. So um, I ended up as a, a, a pastor of student ministries overseeing junior high, high school and college. And so we started doing trips with our high school students and college students to Utah. And then when I joined the staff at Stand to Reason, we just we, we uh, kept those going and I started doing them with other churches and Christian schools. And then when we started Maven, we just launched this uh, this program, what, what we call immersive experiences. And we have three of them. But the Utah uh, trip is what we call our biblical immersive experience because the focus is on scripture and theology. And it is an incredible tool to train young people to know what they believe, to know their theology, to know the scriptures. Because uh, there's nothing like going to Utah, getting ripped apart by a Mormon who knows his Bible better than you, to create internal motivation to want to go study, you know? Yeah, I was actually, I watched part of this, and I got to finish it up, but I watched this, this video um, where you are role-playing at a church. Of being a Mormon yeah. elder, yeah. and you're just like like you're asking, you know, what's the difference? And uh, uh, these people are saying, well, I believe in the tr uh, you know Trinity, and you're like, well, here's if you mean this, then I believe that too, and I believe in Jesus. It's very interesting because um, within the apologetics kind of world, the online apologetics world, a lot of people are focusing on atheists, mm -hmm. right? But when you actually look at the data, um, there's way more people that belong to certain religious groups rather than just like atheists, right? Like may maybe, I don't know, maybe in America, that's kind of the, even in America, I would say it's not, it's not really like percentage wise. I don't know. The last numbers I saw was maybe five to 8%. If you want to really push it, uh, of people who actually identify themselves as atheists, but a vast majority of the world belongs to a religious framework. And within at least, uh, in my experience, it kind of gets lost because we're talking about atheism, maybe because atheists are very loud um, and, and, and call for attention. But, you know, I've I had friends that lived in Utah, so I visited Utah and kind of um, not for evangelistic purposes, but, you know, I interacted and, and you kind of say, OK, this this is kind of a separate culture, man. This is this this is different than than, uh, you know, where I'm from. Like I remember being in Utah and then Sunday. Like this was surreal because I hadn't experienced something like this, right? Like Sunday, like everything's closed. It's like, I was like, Hey, what do we do? You know? And, and my buddy's like, everything's closed. Like we yeah. stay home. Oh, Utah is its own culture. I mean, it is, is really a, 
uh, a different culture. And it's like an unreached people group. Uh, I mean, the, the, the amount of Christians there is minuscule. Hmm. And so my pastor friends up there, my friends who are doing ministry up there, they're always saying, hey, we need more Christians to move up to Utah and to reach these, uh, you know, the, the Mormon people. There you go. Okay, so why don't you give us a historical kind of how and where Mormonism came about? Okay, so um, you really got to go back to uh, uh, the 18, around 1820. Um, you've got this young boy, Joseph Smith, who is, of course, the key figure in Mormonism. And uh, uh, you have uh, uh, his, let me see, I think the best place to start is probably kind of the context sure. and, uh, of where he's at. He's in upstate uh, New York. A, a very uh, kind of religiously charged kind of background. Um, and according to his own account, so if you want Joseph Smith's written account on this, you would you would look at the Mormon scriptures. And in particular, I've got the Mormon scriptures here. If you're familiar with Mormonism, there's not just one, but there are four books which uh, make up what are called the standard works. So you got the uh, the... Holy Bible, particularly the authorized King James Version. You got the Book of Mormon, and you got the Doctrine and Covenants, or DNC, and then you got the Pearl of Great Price. Hmm. And in the Pearl of Great Price, we get uh, uh, we get Joseph Smith recounting uh, what happens, and it's in uh, it's it's it, it, the book is called Joseph Smith History, and I just want to read to you the kind of the key section there, and it's in chapter one. And so Joseph Smith says he, that, look, he's, he, he goes around, he's talking to different, you know, uh, Christians. They're all, you've got all these different denominations or sects of Christianity, and he's not sure which one to join. And um, so you've got him saying in uh, Joseph Smith history, chapter one, verse 18, he goes into, he, he goes off to pray. He says, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner for, therefore did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak, than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, which of all the sects was right. For at this time it never entered into my heart that all were wrong hmm. and which I should join. So that's verse 18. Here's verse 19. Here's the kicker. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, or referring to the pastors, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach, teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they de deny the power thereof. Hmm. So this is Joseph Smith's first vision where... Uh, the, the father and the son allegedly appear to him, tell him that all of the, the Christian denominations are wrong and that he shouldn't join any of them. And then uh, he is eventually uh, appeared to by the angel Moroni. So if you've ever seen, driven past a Mormon temple, you will see at the top of that temple, right, uh, a golden angel holding a trumpet. And that's the angel Moroni, who's a figure in the Book of Mormon, and uh, he appears to Joseph Smith, and eventually he is the one who reveals the, the, the golden plates for, that Joseph Smith takes and then translates 
in and that's what we uh, we we have in the Book of Mormon this translation of those golden mm -hmm. plates. Cool. And uh, so the the first uh, first published version of the Book of Mormon is 1830, and uh, yeah, and so that just kind of launches uh, uh, you know Mormonism. And and they yeah. they end up I mean the Mormon community ends up having this westward expansion. Is is that the right word to use? Can I say expansion or movement? Yeah. Yes. So there's when you, when you look at Mormon history, there is um, a move uh, into uh, Illinois and then from Illinois, ultimately into Utah and the Salt Lake Valley. And that really has to do with the persecution that they experienced. Uh, now, not not maybe sometimes we think of persecution as an innocent group being persecuted. I think when you look at Mormon history, you have probably a lot of um, uh uh, I guess self-inflicted persecution oh. where uh, when you look at the history of Joseph Smith, there are definitely some questionable and shady things, right? You have um, uh, uh, early on uh, polygamy with Joseph Smith. I mean, Joseph, Joseph Smith himself, according to the Mormon church, which is very careful in, in keeping track of genealogical records. They themselves report that Joseph Smith had 34 wives and so this is you know this is right at, at the beginning and uh so he you know he had a reputation for being somewhat of a um well just involved in you know some shady sh some shady things and uh and so you know so there's some persecution that drove mormons out and they mm. ultimately settled in the, the salt lake valley so now i think some go ahead oh go ahead i, I was just wanted to highlight in that scripture that I, I read from the, the Pearl of Great Price, notice, uh, according to Joseph Smith, uh, all the denominations of Christianity are wrong. And that is, I think, a really uh, an important point for people to get, especially if you're going to have a conversation with your Mormon neighbor, because oftentimes Mormons are very sensitive to any kind of critique or conversation. If you, if you kind of, you know, if you quickly go after... Joseph Smith, or you go after doctrines, or you you start to kind of get into your apologetic debate, you get Mormons that will just back off real quick, huh. and and they will say things like, "Hey, we're we're not interested in quarreling. We're not interested in uh, kind of arguing and debating or Bible bashing. Uh, we we just want to share the good news, right? And um, and sometimes they will get uh, offended if you suggest or claim that they are wrong in their views. And I think this is a good passage to highlight and it is to say, look, um, you're, you know, the prophet Joseph Smith said that, that I'm wrong. You know, all other denominations outside, uh, you know, all these Christian denominations are false. In fact, there are places in the book of Mormon where the Christian church is referred to in very negative terms. Uh, mm -hmm referred to as the the whore of the the earth and so there's some very strong language and so all that to say is that sometimes you have to try and when you're engaging in conversation with a mormon try to i guess um uh you're gonna have to at times diffuse some of the the defensiveness or the argumentativeness huh. and and just say look hey I want to know the truth. In fact, I'll talk, when I talk to Mormons, I'll say, look, if I'm wrong, 
about my faith, about the Christian faith, I want to know. And if you're wrong, would, would you want to know? And look, we, our view is that you have wrong doctrines, but your view is the same thing of, of me. You you think my church and, and, and you think I have wrong doctrines, and I'm not offended by that. I'm glad that you care enough about me to say that. But if I'm wrong, I want to know because eternal life is at stake. And so that's why I think re- that, that scripture is so important in kind of these conversations. I kind of find that fascinating uh, because— it seems to me that modern Mormonism wants to be accepted as like a Christian, right? Not yeah. the Christian, but a Christian kind of, um, which, which seems to be contradictory, like internally contradictory to their own views and what Joseph Smith thought. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And so this is where uh, you hear Mormons say all the time, "I'm uh, Mormons are Christians, right? Uh, in fact, they will point to the name that is on their church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. of Latter-day Saints. So what, what you have to do, I mean, I think the most helpful uh, way to engage with Mormons in conversation is by asking genuine questions. And so when a Mormon says, hey, we're Christians too, you got to ask the question, well, well what do you mean? Right. You have to get clarification at first. Otherwise, you're going to talk past each other. And this is so vital in your conversations with Mormons. And this is where Christians really just need to be patient because you're going to have to get clarification. You're going to have to make sure uh, the terms that they they, that they're talking about are properly defined. You understand what they mean when they say this, these, you know, use these terms that, that Christians use as well, right? That's one of the main problems in conversations with Mormons is we have this terminology problem. We're using the same terminology, but we have completely different meanings. So when it comes to uh, this claim that Mormons are Christian, you've got to ask, well, what do you mean Mormons are Christians? Hmm. Because that claim could mean, a, I mean, you could, uh, you could take that claim in a couple of different ways. It could be that they mean, well, Mormonism is just another denomination of Christianity, right? But I actually think if they make that claim, and some more will, uh, if they make that claim, that's when I'm going to point them right back to Joseph Smith. Right here, in Joseph Smith, in his own account, that he, he rules out that option, right? He says yep. that all, like <laughs> yeah, all of the other sects of Christianity are wrong. So he's saying all the denominations of Christianity are wrong. So this is, Mormonism isn't, isn't claiming to be historically just one denomination of Christianity. Yeah, there, uh, therefore what, there, it leads to doctrinal differences, right? Because, right, in his mind at least, because all these denominations had gone astray, so I guess there needs to be a recovery of the original uh, Christianity. So exactly. it kind of leads me to the next question of what are those most fundamental doctrines that Mormons hold to. For example, right, for mainline Christians, it's going to be, say, the dual natures of Christ, the Trinity, you know, um, things of that sort. So what what is that thing for Mormons that is kind of non-negotiables? Well, when I, when I talk to Mormons and when I engage Mormons, I, I, I there are, I think, three really fundamental issues that uh, you can address. And, and this is where I would say, again, Starting with questions is really helpful yes. because you get to know the other person first. 
because each Mormon is a unique individual and we need to treat them as such. Right. right. And and not just assume that, hey, if we have studied Mormon apologetics, then we can just go out and, and, and you know, every Mormon's going to be the same. Uh, because what I found is that with these different issues, uh, some Mormons are more kind of sensitive to the apologetic on one issue, whereas you talk to them about, you know, another issue and it, it, it doesn't phase them. But then you take that same issue and you talk to another Mormon and that just rattles their cage. So hmm. uh, so with that in mind, I think really uh, maybe the three key issues, I think, uh, maybe four, four if we if we if we kind of tried to reduce them down, there'd be four the, the, and it maybe put them in the, the form of questions. Right. So the first key question is, who is God? Right. So this is dealing with the nature hmm. of God. Who is God? And the, the verse that I that Mormons are well aware of and a verse that I love to start off and frame the conversation with is John 17, three. I mean, John 17, three. Jesus says that eternal life is knowing the one true God, right? The only true God. And so here you have eternal life uh, is, is knowing the one true God. And, and with, so with Mormons, what you can do is show how significant this question is and why the differences matter. Hmm. Because if they have a view of God, that is radically different than our view of God, then uh, here are the only possibilities. Either uh, they're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and they're wrong, but we can't both be right. And I guess it's possible that we both are wrong, but in none of those scenarios can we both be right when we have contradictory views. And so when you look at the Mormon view of God, I mean, you just look at what Joseph Smith taught. Joseph Smith... Uh, and you will see an evolution in Mormon theology in the later scriptures. So the Book of Mormon, his first you know, scripture that he, he wrote, it's fairly Trinitarian. You'll find affirmations of the, of the Trinity in there. But when you get into later revelation, like the Doctrine and Covenants, you will find him um, uh, making uh, different claims. You almost see like this kind of evolution uh-huh. of his view. God. So for instance, like Doctrine and Covenants chapter one, uh, 130 verse 22, it talks about the father having a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's, right? And so in the Mormon view, you have God the father who is a created being. He was, he, he was formerly a mortal man who completes his exaltation to become a God, and now he rules over this universe, and he is our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. But he was once a mortal man in another universe with his own God, worshiping him. And uh, he literally, there is a, a, a mother goddess, which Mormons will, they typically won't have a lot of conversation with you about the mother goddess. There's there's not really a whole lot of information. Yeah. And I, the way I've had Mormons describe Mormon missionaries describe it to me is why they don't talk much about God's wife is because it's, it's kind of like they, 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 uh, the analogy was like the paparazzi and, you know, a a movie star might try to protect his wife from the paparazzi. And so they, you know, she's so sacred and, um, and, and so, but, but the, the point is they, they have a view that God, the father has a wife. They live in this uh, and rule over this universe. 
uh, and they are procreating and having spirit children. The firstborn spirit child was Jesus. Um, and ultimately, uh, you also have Lucifer as a spirit child. And then down the road, uh, after, you know, whatever, you know, billions of uh, spirit children, you and I come along. Mm. And so literally, we are all spirit children of the heavenly parents. And we get dropped into these bodies. And then, yes, we move from that first estate in, uh, in, in the spirit realm to then getting a body here on earth. And then that is necessary for us to complete the process of exaltation, which that's a key term, which brings us really to our second key area of doctrine. And that is the Mormon view of eternal life. Hmm. Now notice I'm using my, my, my words very carefully here. Uh, because I, you don't, I don't want to say the Mormon view of salvation because what they mean by salvation and what we mean by salvation are radically different. Hmm. Uh, salvation for a Mormon is just the general resurrection um, that we will all obtain. We will all get resurrected bodies. When you say all, you mean every single human, not necessarily yeah. just Mormons. Exactly. That's everybody. So salvation is the general resurrection for everyone. That's not like, like we would say well, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples, right? So that's the, to, to bring people into a saving faith with, with the Lord Jesus. That's not the case for more, like that's not uh, the, the, the primary goal for any good faithful Mormon. In fact, the way to get kind of beyond that 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 uh, issue of salvation is to maybe frame the question for a Mormon this way. Uh, what is the best that your religion has to offer? Like what, what is the ideal for what's the highest goal for a Mormon? And the highest goal for a Mormon is what is called exaltation. And exaltation is the idea that they can become gods. Uh, and now exaltation is the, is the, it has the same meaning as eternal life. So eternal life. And that's why that John 17, three passage is so good mm. because it phrases it in terms of eternal life. Eternal life is exaltation and exaltation means you ultimately becoming a God yourself. Okay. And, uh, that can, is straight out of the mouth. Clarify that, uh, because, um, let's talk about the distinction here between men and women. I think because it matters as to who yeah. can become God as a father God, right? Because the, as far as I know, Mormons regularly refer to God as heavenly father. And they, yes. they mean that in a very literal sense, it seems to me. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, because they're, they, we are literally his spirit children. Yeah. We are spirit children of the heavenly parents. So women can only be mothers and kind of uh, they, they can't like have their own planet, I'm, I'm guessing. Well, they would rule with their husbands. Yeah. And so they would be divine beings. So they would be, you would refer to the heavenly father and the heavenly mother. But the role for the, the wife, and, and, and first of all, her exaltation is ultimately dependent on the husband. Hmm. And so this is where the ceiling in marriage is so vital for Mormons. Like getting married in the temple is, is absolutely essential to um, uh, the Mormon view of exaltation. So a husband and wife, uh, they get sealed in the temple, and they get sealed for 
time and eternity, right? So this isn't just for this life, but it's also for the life to come. And they will get different uh, names given to them in the uh, in the temple ceremony that they do during the marriage ceremony. And uh, the husband at the at, at the end um, of the judgment will have an opportunity to kind of call forth his wife if she was a good, faithful Mormon wife. He can call her forth into eternal life with him to rule over, uh, you know, his uh, his universe. So, and and she gets to, I mean, eternally pregnant, right? <laughs> She's going to spend most of her time eternally pregnant, bearing spirit children. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a really appealing to a lot of ladies out there, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's clearly even in their view, you look at it and it seems. There is there there seems to be some inequity built into it mm. when it comes to men and women, yeah, uh, but but they can become uh, divine beings. In fact, this is you know Joseph Smith writes this in the in one of the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's Doctrine and Covenant one thirty two twenty, where he talks about that they shall be gods, uh, and um, you know uh, we have that, that that ability to become gods. So that's the the second key issue yeah. is. You know, who is God? Uh, what is eternal life? Uh, and then I think two other key issues are uh, what's our authority, right? Mm. So for Mormons, when you're talking to Mormons, you, you know, you're going to get to the issue of authority. And of course, they are going to hold that the Bible is an authority, but it is it doesn't seem to be an ultimate authority. In fact, they undermine the Bible's authority in their their own doctrines. So in their articles of faith, which is at the uh, in their in the Prologue Price Scriptures, they have a kind of an outline, a summary of their doctrine. And Articles of Faith number eight says we believe the Bible to be uh, correct as far as it. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. Okay. So notice that phrase as far as it's translated correctly. So that begin that opens the door to undermining the authority of Scripture, um, and. Uh, 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 and, and, and so the, the, the Mormon scriptures end up having more authority because they don't have any kind of modified view of the Mormon scriptures like that. Mm. It's interesting because uh, there's a number of questions that have come up. And one of them is, um, how do they explain Jesus saying in heaven there's neither marriage nor given in marriage? I mean, right, like this, this like, um, or even Paul's teaching. I mean, you could say Paul's teaching in Romans is an analogy, like Romans 6. Uh, about, you know, death is what kind of separates you um, in marriage. Uh, but that seems to be the case biblically where, you know, if your spouse dies, then, hey, you can, you can get married to someone else because that bond of covenant is, is no longer valid because it's at death. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, and it, so these are great questions. And what you'll find often is when you get to the point where you can ask some of these questions and you probe, Mormonism will fall apart. Mm. And more often Mormons will not have good answers to these kind of, of questions, right? Um, and so I literally with, with a question like that, what I've had Mormons do is they, they, they have difficulty um, uh, with that passage. And so often what they will fall back on is uh, uh, repudiating the authority of, of the scriptures. They'll say, well, we believe 
Well, we, we believe the Bible's been, uh, as far as it's been translated correctly. Uh-huh. So and as long so, as it agrees with us. That is really, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be uncharitable here. Sure, yeah. But, but exact, when you get to those points of tension in the scriptures, so often if you are able to um, handle the scriptures well, uh, you will get Mormons that, that will very quickly f- kind of fall into this default mode of uh, undermining the authority of scripture. And then the second thing that they'll do is they'll fall back on their testimony. Yeah. And that's really the fourth issue. Of how uh-huh. uh, it, how do you know what is what is true? And so um, uh, Mormons will say, "Well, I I know in my heart, or uh, God has given me a testimony, or I've read the Book of Mormon and I prayed about it, and God told me it was true." It's something like that. They'll bear their testimony at that point, and they'll fall back into this subjective response to these kind of questions. And, and so that's really the fourth issue. So who is God? What is eternal life? What is your authority? And then how do we know the truth? And so that those four are the just the key issues I think to, to to camp on. But this is what will happen, especially when you get into those two those first two issues, and you you really show from the scriptures the contradictions between mm. the you know Mormon scriptures and, and scripture and the the, the the Bible. You'll either get an undermining of scripture, or you going into a subject privatized experience, which is what they call their testimony. Huh. Um, I have more of a philosophical question here a little bit going back to who is god this this nature of god because it's okay so if if heavenly father was a creature right and had his own god his own creator then you know it kind of begs the question to say hey well, well what about that god right um and if if this kind of falls victim to like this eternal regress and so who's the original mover within Mormon theology or does it just not get mentioned? Yeah. Okay. So this is a great question. And this is where, you know, you oftentimes you have to keep asking the clarification questions again and again. Hmm. So you could ask a Mormon, Hey, is God the father eternal? And they would say, many Mormons would say yes. Now what the, then the follow-up question would be is what do you mean by eternal? Hmm. Right. So here you want to get more precise. Has God the Father eternally been the Father? Has he eternally been the Heavenly Father? No. Okay. So he was a man before he was God. Okay. Uh, so he had his Heavenly Father who, who, you know, created him. So that's his first cause. Well, what about that heavenly father and that heavenly father? And yeah, so you have this, uh, you have this regress and ultimately it goes back to what Mormons refer to as, um, spiritual matter or intelligences. And the, these intelligences are uh, the spiritual matter that exists eternally. And they are the kind of the source of all things. Um, and so that's the that that would be the Mormon view. And so in that sense, they can say that all things are um, all things are eternal. They could say he, the Heavenly Father is inter, eternal because he ultimately comes from this eternal matter, right? But in the same way, you could say, well, we are too because that you know we are 
you know, the, the stuff to make us and create us is this, this, these eternal intelligences. Okay. So now has God always been God from all eternity? No, that would be, they, they wouldn't hold that. But so, so you have a regress that eventually ends in this intelligence, but most Mormons are going to punt on this question. Hmm. Uh, I've only had a couple who have been bothered by that. You know, when you kind of say, well, who is, you know, heavenly and, and wouldn't he be greater in power and more worthy of worship when I want to worship that being instead of, and they just say, look, we, we are only concerned about our heavenly father. Uh -huh. Uh, and they will say there is just one. Ultimately, if you think about the Mormon worldview, they're polytheistic, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, sorry. Um, ooh, might have put that book away. Um, uh, oh, man. There, there's a book that was edited by uh, Frank Bethwith, uh, Beckwith and... Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the New Mormon uh, Challenge. Yes, the New Mormon Challenge, Beckwith. Isn't Beckwith who writes on this problem of the infinite regress for Mormons? Yeah, and uh, it's a really good book because it's Christian theologians taking very seriously, it's a number of Christian theologians taking, taking Mormon doctrine very seriously. Uh, one of the articles in there was actually written by my Old Testament professor in Bible college. Uh, his name is Jim Adams, Dr. Jim Adams. And he actually argues from the Old Testament accounts of creation and, um, and the plagues in Egypt, how God is against polytheism within the Old Testament context and how, you know, Mormon doctrine doesn't kind of go alongside with that, which I, I, I find it, it's, it's a fascinating article. I think it's really good yeah. um, uh, because well, well, when, go ahead. when you highlight when you highlight passages like, I mean, just Isaiah 43, 10. Or Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, mm. these passages that say there's only one God, there's no other God beside me. Uh, or John 17, 3, or you know, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Mormons, the, 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 the typical response is, well, yeah, there's only one God yeah. for this world. Or there's only one God for us. Or there's only one God we worship. And that's how they get out of that. Yeah, it's like they kind but of contextualize it to this planet. Yeah. And so I, I'd say, you know, like two responses to that. Number one, when you look at like, I, I, you know, the Isaiah passages, it explicitly says, apart from me, there are no gods. And so you highlight that. I mean, that's a clarification. It's not just saying, well, hey, there's one God for this world. Mm -hmm. Apart from me, there are no other gods. And you are going to have to, you know, add this modifier in this world to that passage, which is obviously an illegitimate way to interpret the scriptures. Mm. But then secondly, I would say, well, hey, are there any other passages in scripture that indicate that there's more than one God? You know, and, and kind of reverse the burden of proof there and say, show me where the scriptures teach that there's more than one God. And the, but about the only passage that, uh, you know, Mormons will cite is maybe John 10, 34. Mm. And John 10, 34 is uh, the, um, the Pharisees quoting from the Old Testament, quoting from the Psalms. And they, they use the word gods, little g. And it's actually a quotation of a, a psalm, really, that has to do with the judgment of, uh, of men, but referring to them as gods because they sit in the, they, they, they put themselves in a, a position of judgment. Okay. And so... Um, Anyway, that, yeah, there's, you know, you put the burden of proof back on them to say, where does scripture indicate that there's more than one God? It never does. 
Let me ask a couple of questions that have come up. Uh, one of them is, do they let us pray for them? Yeah, actually, Mormons will. Um, typically, when we do our immersive experiences to Utah with students, we'll, te we'll, we'll encourage uh, our Christian students at the end of a conversation uh, before they depart, you know, and in, in, uh, with the Mormons that they're, they've engaged with is to always ask, hey, how how can I pray for you? And can I pray for you right now before before we leave? And it's very rare that we get Mormons that will refuse that. They'll often say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'd love for you to do that. And uh, and I think that can be a thing that really ministers to them because what you find in the Mormon church, and I would encourage Christians who are strong in their faith to visit a Mormon church and just to see, just to see and to, to experience for yourself the different texture of the Mormon service compared to a typical yeah. Christian service. And I've been to several Mormon services now, and I can say that they are very lifeless. Hmm. Uh, you, there's just a radically different texture that's very um, kind of rehearsed and not a lot, a lot of life to it. And I think when I hear, when I've heard Mormons pray, it's very kind of ritualistic. And so I, I think this is a, a, a really good testimony in Mormons when they hear us pray and they hear the authenticity with which we approach God and the, the, even the passion and the zeal that we approach God with that is almost always missing from their own churches because they're, they're worshiping and, and praying to a, a false God. Right. And so I would encourage people. Yes, absolutely. Pray for your okay. pray with and for your Mormon neighbors. Um, here's another one that I think is very interesting because, you know, scripture speaking about that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness and all this stuff. And um, it's going to lead us to some other conversations. But so it is. Is it important for us to take authority over lying spirits um, of religion even before talking to them? I mean, um, viewing this kind of maybe in a holistic way rather than just an individual I'm just having arguments with or discussions with, but saying hey, there's more to this that's going on. Um, and, and being aware of that and praying about that as you're having conversations. Yeah, well, I, I, so I think it's important for us to think through the nature of spiritual warfare because I certainly think that these conversations, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. Uh, but what is the nature of that spiritual warfare? Are there, uh, you know, is, is it primarily identified in the New Testament as, demons who have you know authority over a certain area or those mm. kind of things and it seems to me that the emphasis like when i read paul just for instance i, I think of something like second corinthians chapter 10. second corinthians chapter 10 particularly verses three through five paul talks about waging war right and he says but we don't we, uh, uh we we live in the world but we don't wage war as the world yeah. does and then he talks about the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world and he says, particularly in verse four, that our weapons demolish strongholds. And so what are those strongholds? Verse five, he says, we demolish arguments mm -hmm. and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so when I hear Paul talk about this kind of warfare, spiritual warfare, I think one of the primary aspects of spiritual warfare are the battle of ideas, right? So here, Paul says that engaging in our spiritual warfare, what do we do? We demolish arguments. And so the intellectual battles 
are not somehow separated That's right. from the spiritual battle. That is actually a major source of, or, or a major, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, a, ma- a major source of the spiritual battle is the intellectual battle. And so I think doing good Mormon apologetics. So in order, I think the best preparation is, of course, prayer, but right along with that, hand in hand, is good Mormon apologetics. Yeah. Right. Because this is you're going to and 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 gosh, I've been doing this now for 20 years of taking groups up there and talking to Mormon friends. And, you know, when Mormon uh, missionaries come to my neighborhood, it's like, hey, come on in. <laughs> and um, as but, it should be, by the way, as it should be. Ex- Exactly. Exactly. They they should they should encounter uh, you know out on the mission field. Christians are the the sweetest, gentlest, uh, most loving, welcoming people that they 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 uh, they you know right. come in contact with. That's but right. all that to say, uh, the the primary nature of this warfare is a is a warfare of ideas, and so we wanted to demolish these false arguments of Mormonism. And we want to help them take every thought captive uh, to the obedience of Christ. And so I think that's the best preparation is certainly prayer and um, and then study. Study, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, and I, one I, of the I things think... I found that is beneficial, and I, I hear this always, it's, it's my view of when people interact with me as a Christian, um, I don't like caricatures of what Christians believe. So, you know, if I'm talking to a Muslim and they're like, oh, you guys worship, you know, three gods and stuff. I'm like, okay, you haven't seriously thought about Christianity from a Christian perspective, at least. And so because I have that view and I want people to uh, represent me as a Christian in a proper way, I want to do due diligence in studying these other religions. And so when I'm talking to people from these religions and worldviews to represent them well. Right. And, and do it to the best of my abilities and be open to correction if I'm wrong and not, you know, fall victim to these caricatures or whatever like that. Um, which leads me to this question. Um, is Mormon, is there one kind of Mormonism? Uh, um, now, what we're familiar with is, you know, the, the main Latter-day Saints uh, church that's based in Utah, kind of after Joseph Smith. Right. Um what about these other? I know there are. I know there are, but explain that to us and how that gets, ex, you know, explained by them. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, it's a little bit ironic here because this is a charge against Protestant Christianity that Mormons will bring. They will say, "Look, look at all the division amongst Protestants. You have hundreds of thousands of denominations, hmm. and there's no unity. And so this, you know, clearly that it can't be of God." Um, but ironically, Mormons have their own denominations. There are different splinter groups. Now, the largest and, and, and kind of the primary body is the, 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 the church that's based in, in Salt Lake City, right? So the main church definitely has the most members and um, is kind of looked at as like, you know, that, the LDS church, that's like the mainstream LDS church. But you have all uh, you have, gosh, probably now I haven't kept track, but it's probably at least over 150 different denominations of Mormonism itself. And some of those denominations, some of the more prominent ones are actually uh, like the fundamentalist Mormons, the fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or sometimes it's referred to as FLDS. 
and the um, the 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 fundamentalist Mormons are polygamists. And then you have, I mean, you just have a number of different uh, splinter groups. There's a, uh, you know, the, there's Restoration Branch. Um, and I think different branches out off of there and some of these different branches have their own prophets. So they don't, they don't take the main LDS church prophet to be the true prophet. Uh, and so you get, you know, you've got different denominations of Mormonism as well. And so anytime that, that is, is brought up as a charge against Christianity, I think it's, it's fair to say, well, Mormonism has its own problem with the denominations and actually, I don't think it is a problem to have different denominations, because when you look at Christian denominations, they share the the the, uh, the, the core views, right? So I, I and, and I know this through my ministry. I mean, we are a non-denominational ministry that works with Lutherans, that works mm -hmm. with Episcopals, that works with uh, Presbyterians, that work with EV Free, that works with Calvary Chapels. How can we do that? If we don't have the core. So uh, here's what's interesting, because one of these groups seems to be um, from my readings, and it's not very uh, deep and wide, uh, that Joseph Smith's family kind of has this denomination where they reject the fact that he was polygamist. Um, yeah, that might be, uh, you know, my... Um my knowledge of their different denominations is not that okay. great. I'm not sure there's a, I, I'm not sure if that's the, well, the second largest denomination is, is the re what's called the, sometimes it's called the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sometimes it's also referred to as a community of Christ. Um, I don't, I don't think that's who it is. Okay. So the, the reason why I say this regardless is that there's fundamental kind of historic differences right where yeah. at least the christian so like i'm i'm not catholic or orthodox for example but um we would agree let's say on the nicene creed or the chalcedonian creed mm -hmm. right um yeah. but with them the differences kind of get really fundamental where it could be the case where when you start asking enough questions and developing it they kind of look like a separate religion. And I, I think that's what you were going after where, hey, we still have this unity amongst Christians, even though we have multiple denominations, but your differences are, are more um, central kind of to your teaching. Um, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question and I, I want to lead this because I, I really want to have you back on and I got to chase down David Wood for this one. Um. It, I've always found it very interesting that Islam and Mormonism were developed completely separate from one another. But they have so many similarities. Okay, yeah. e even their view of the Bible, even like you said, someone mentioned this in the comments. Um, this idea that, you know, oh, the Book of Mormon seems to be pretty Trinitarian. I, I mean, there's arguments. And, and for those who are interested in regards to Islam, go check out the stuff David Wood has produced. Where it's yeah. like, well, hey, listen, there's Quranic verses that actually support Jesus being God, and and all, and then it just changes, like this progression of change that happens. Um, and they're so much yeah. like each other in some of the most fundamental ideas. Like polygamy is one of the things that immediately gets uh, shown. Yeah, in so many ways. I mean, you have uh, Mormons and Muslims both think the Bible prophesies that their prophet is coming, 
And so for Mormons, they'll point to Ezekiel chapter 37 hmm. as a, uh, you know, talking about the stick of Joseph. And they think this is a, you know, a prophecy about Joseph. You have with both Joseph Smith and Muhammad angelic visitation where uh, it's through Muhammad or it's through uh, Joseph Smith that that God is going to restore the truth, but it's notice it's a privatized angelic visit visit for uh, for them. So for uh, Muhammad, it's you know the angel Gabriel. For Joseph Smith, it's the angel uh, Moroni. Yeah. And then they get revelation, right? And they had they write a new uh, sacred scripture, and that scripture is the most correct. I mean, that's what the Mormons uh, talk about. They say it's the most correct. Uh, book of any on earth. And, um, you know, and, and so you, oh, you have the, a denial of the Trinity. And then you also have in both Mormonism and Islam, a, they, they, they claim that the, the Bible is, uh, is corrupted scripture, right? And, uh, you got a salvation by works. So mm-hmm. the parallels are just, there's so many parallels between the two. No, just even in 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 the, the formation of the religion. Yeah, I, I found it interesting that like Mormonism, everybody talks about the Book of Mormon, but in reality, in Mormonism, there's there's more books than just the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, in Islam, you get oh, it's the Quran, but in actuality, the Hadiths are this. You know, you you have to take them seriously. I mean, there's uh, no way that doesn't happen. The claim yeah. that there's only one, right? Like oh, there there's only like Islam is this one thing. And then when you start digging deeply, you go, oh, no, there's ma- two main divisions and then a bunch of other divisions in that. And you get the same thing in Mormonism. I had no idea that there were so many Mormon denominations, by the way. I thought it was like a handful, oh, yeah. but you're saying like more yeah. than 100. That's- now, by far, uh, the – the sorry, you, 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 you cut out there. So I'm I, uh, sorry. I think I was trying to interrupt you. <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. No, yeah, the by far the LDS, the main LDS church in Salt Lake City is by far the largest. But, yeah, lots of – plenty of splinter groups that have broken okay. off so as we finish i, I want to um ask you this so maybe final couple questions um ravi zacharias was invited to speak at the at the mormon tabernacle which he got a lot of twice um he got a lot, a lot of trash from both sides i, I guess about that um, I know that at Fuller Seminary there's been some work in you know dialoguing with Mormons and stuff like that is there some kind of hope, in your opinion, where there would be kind of a coming back to or coming to a, a orthodox Christianity for Mormons? Because I know some theologians have been in a dialogue like this. And because some did not, like Church of Christ, right, this Armstrongism, for those who are aware, actually made this denominational change where it, it became more and uh, more orthodox is do you see something like this happening in in mormonism or will it just cause a fracture yeah no i i, I know um you know talking to some uh, christian apologists and some theologians and 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 really a lot of the, some of the dialogue heated up probably around 10 years ago maybe even longer there was some hope of that but mostly it was i think some some conversations with some you know, prominent scholars at BYU, but in terms of the church leadership, uh, no, I don't think there's any real hope of the church. Certainly the church wouldn't be returning to anything because it's never been orthodox. It would be repudiating pretty much their entire history and what 
their profits have taught through the years. So I just don't see that happening. Instead, here's what we do see, uh, what we do see happening. And I was just up in Salt Lake City with a group of high schoolers taking them on, on one of these immersive experiences. And we're talking to the, the Christians who are on the ground there doing ministry with Mormons. And here's what they're finding. They're finding that in the age of the internet, more Mormons are getting online and seeing the many, many problems with Mormon doctrine, with the history of the church, and they are simply walking away. In fact, I have some friends who are doing ministry. They've been doing ministry for years and years at a community college in kind of uh, rural Utah. And the college students they get in are typically, they come from good Mormon families. But what they're finding now, and they just said, hey, we're, we're almost hardly having conversations about Mormonism anymore. We're actually having to do just more general apologetics because these these kids who've grown up in the Mormon church have already walked away from it and they become agnostic or they become atheists. Wow. And they're just kind of a disillusion. And so they're, they said their ministry is really shifting, whereas 10 years ago it was all about you know reaching Mormon kids. They By the time they get to the, the, the college, They've already abandoned their Mormon their Mormon faith, yeah. and uh, uh, so what what the church and, and there's been some indication from church leaders that they're aware of this, but the the Mormon church seems to be hemorrhaging its people, and uh, they're it in seems a real to me fight. seeing all the online content they've been producing and all the uh, ads they're running on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, um, uh, it seems to be the case that they're putting some effort into reaching uh, the, the younger generation and stuff like that, or at least keeping their younger generation. You you mentioned something that I think maybe should be talked about and clarified, and then maybe we'll end with that. You kept saying prophets of the church or a pro, you know. So the Mormon church has um, a continuous line of prophets. Um, yeah. Give us a brief explanation of that and what their actual authority is within the church. Are they like the highest that can go up? Yeah. So the the view for of the of the church is that um, the senior leaders. And so this goes all the way back to Joseph Smith, is the president and prophet, mm -hmm. right? So Joseph Smith is is referred to as the prophet of the restoration. So he restores the church. He restores the gospel. And see, they hold a view that there was a great apostasy, that the entire Christian church fell away, and so it had to be restored. It's not reformed. It's not like the Great Reformation, yeah. right? This is a restoration of what was lost. And so starting with Joseph Smith, God chooses him as the prophet to restore the church. And um, from that point, there is a living modern-day prophet when the, 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 the previous prophet um, passes away. And so, in fact, in the Mormon structure, they, uh, they have the prophet who is the head of the church, but then they have uh, a, a, what they call the Quorum of the Twelve and the Quorum of the Seventy, which are the church leaders. And ultimately, as you kind of work your way up in that hierarchy, you know, um, these, you know, the, ne the next prophet will come from the quorum of the 12. And there's actually kind of three who are the inner circle. Um, and so they, they all kind of know who will be the next prophet when this prophet dies. It's kind of the next, the next one in line. Huh. But yeah, so they, their view, and again, you know, again, it differs from Mormon to Mormon, but their view would be that the, the prophet he receives divine revelation from God and he speaks with the authority of scripture. 
Of course, when he speaks with the authority of Scripture, you get different takes on this from some Mormons. Some Mormons will say it's not just it's not whenever he speaks. Uh, it's it's typically what the 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 messages that he gives during their uh, their biannual uh, general conference. And so they do these huge general conferences where the you know prophets the the prophet and the church leaders will speak and share on different things. And so that's often when he you know he'll give you know various divine revelation. Yeah. Um, but if he is speaking, if he is giving divine revelation, it's with, it has the authority of of God you know behind it. And I've even asked Mormons, and I've had Mormons say like, or I've asked Mormons like, what if he he says something that contradicts? even modern day revelation, like in the book of Mormon. And, and you, again, you have different views, but I've had Mormons who say, well, I'm going with the prophet. The prophet is the most authoritative huh. source. So that's interesting because, because as far as I know, um, th this is how the polygamy thing changed in main mainline, uh, Mormonism, right? Is that there was a yeah. new revelation that you can, you can no longer, or it's no longer acceptable to have, uh, more than one wife. And so modern, uh, Mormons, mainline Mormons, are not polygamists, right? They, they would say, oh, no, 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 we don't agree with this. But that was not for the case from the beginning. That, that was actually a revelation that came uh, pretty, I guess, late on. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, gosh, I, I can't remember uh, my, my, uh, my, the exact times, but I believe it was near the, uh, the, the, the turn of the century. And that was, it really seemed to be linked with the, uh, the, uh, uh, the state of Utah not being able to join the union um, because of the practice of polygamy was illegal, and and so that that's when you have this this shift, and uh, they eventually stop. I think they stop at, right at the the turn of the century there, like 1904 or something mm. like that, uh, when uh, they yeah they disavow um, polygamy. So uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, convenient timing, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, but they, you also have the same thing with, you know, uh, uh, blacks being allowed to be in the, the, you know, to, to receive the priesthood in the church and to be able to go into the temple and practice their sacraments and that kind of thing. It's, I believe, in 1972 mm. when the prophet um, has a revelation that says blacks are now allowed to receive the priesthood. Of course, this is coming after the, the, the thrust of the civil rights movement. You know, so there's kind of a changing with the times. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it hasn't happened thus far, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, there, there could be revelation here in the, in the near future on same-sex marriage. Right? Same-sex marriage has become the law of the land. So a modern-day prophet receives revelation, and uh, they can, you know, bring that into acceptance. If I don't know if that's going to be the, the case, but that certainly fits Possibly, within yeah, the— yeah. Yeah, the Mormon Mormon view. They they could even have another. I mean, as we see the culture, really now since uh, the Obergefell Supreme Court decision, now that marriage has kind of become anything, you could see uh, the church return to polygamy if it becomes. You that know, more would be very cool. interesting. Yeah, right? that that would, that would be very interesting to see. <laughs> oh man, yeah, because group marriages are kind of you know springing up various places and people are giving arguments for that. Um, yeah. And, and there's nothing, there's no, nothing in principle that would stop the Mormon church from going, returning to polygamy. You know, there's, yeah. there's no 
prohibition in you know in their scripture and of course the the prophet can be the trump card (laughs) okay well hopefully this has been extremely educational i know it's been for me and i've I've looked at mormonism and had conversations um but uh, like i had no idea about this kind of you go back this eternal regress and then you get this spiritual matter or intelligence like that that's new news to me um, which I would say it, it sounds very Eastern, right? It, it sounds a lot like Hinduism, like this great one kind of, every, it, kind of, they have to, it seems to me, logically to go there. So uh, for those who were aware of Mormonism, um, final thoughts, Brett, um, what are like two tips you would give your average Christian who gets a Mormon who knocks on their door or just meets one on the street? Um, you know, because a lot of these Mormon uh, missionaries are, um, fairly young. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of some advice on how we should approach these individuals as we come across them. And then we'll end with that. I would say number one, be welcoming, be warm, be gentle, be kind. Of course, never compromising the truth. But I think just be very welcoming to your Mormon friends, your Mormon neighbors, Mormon missionaries who show up at the door. Uh, uh, You know, the cliche is, you know, hey, love them, love them well. But I, I think uh, that really holds true as we minister to Mormons, because they will be, they will be, uh, typically speaking, very, uh, uh, very cautious of engaging in a lot of discussion, especially if it gets kind of heated and they've been, you know, they, they've been taught to kind of to to, to stay away from that. And so I think. Uh, just a very w- warm, uh, you know, uh, just authentic kind of affect and, and, and welcoming them really plays, it can really play a huge role into opening them up to the conversation. Because ultimately, I want them, I mean, if we're going to truly love people, it's not just being warm and friendly, but it's also sharing the truth with them. And that my second, I guess my second bit of advice would be, you, you and I need to study, you know, we need to study to be prepared and we need to, so we need to know our own theology first. That's the first priority uh, so that we can, we, we, you know, when a Mormon comes and we ask questions, when they say, make certain claims, we know our own theology so we can point them back to scripture and say, wait a second, that doesn't seem to fit with yeah. scripture. And then the third tip is to, is to say in those conversations is to lead with questions and to really get to know, uh, you know, the Mormon you're talking to, get to know what their views are, um, and really clarify. Because you know, sometimes it, it's just like Christians. You run into some Christians who know what they believe, and you've run into plenty of Christians that don't. That's right. And so you'll have the same thing with Mormons. Some Mormons, you know, I've uh, I've mentioned that to them that Joseph Smith had, uh, you know, 34 wives, uh, and they had no clue. You know, I've talked to other Mormons and they're like, yeah, yeah, we know that. We know, you know, we know all that stuff. So it just, you, it's so helpful to start with questions because you get to know that individual and what that individual believes. Mm-hmm. And then it, t- then that will really inform where you take the conversation. Okay. You know, where do you start with a Mormon? It just depends on who the Mormon is and, and, and how well you've gotten to know them. And, you know, and you go from there. But one thing I would say I, I, here's another little bit of homework for everybody who's listening. 
go do some research on what's called the, the, the lost book of Abraham. The Lost Book of Abraham. So there is a, an older YouTube video on this uh, that will lay out the the, the, the the kind of story behind this. But it has to do with a book, the Book of Abraham, which is in the Pearl of Great Price. Hmm. How uh, the papyrus for this was uh, brought to Joseph Smith. He said, oh, this is the Lost Book of Abraham. He, he claims to translate it. And eventually we find out that it's a complete fraud. And most Mormons have no clue about this, uh, this story. So... There you go. Uh, um, when you know things like that, you can just put a really good stone in their shoe, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so, so you're using terms now. I want people to be aware. Stone in the shoe, lead with questions. Um, uh, this is, uh, you know, and because you've worked with the man, right? Uh, Greg the man. Yeah. The and man um, for those who haven't, by the way, for those who haven't, I told Greg this. I, I said, listen, the book Tactics, uh, before the book came out, I used the DVD series. Um uh, I've led it, my church group through it multiple times. It's been a great resource for me. Uh, read the book, please. If, if there's like one book you can get and read this next two months, read Tactics because it's going to enhance your evangelism and your just conversations. And I, I told Greg this at a conference two years ago. I said, hey, listen, it's helped me in my marriage because when me and my wife get into a conversation, an argument, I ask clarifying questions. I yeah. asked my wife, what do you mean by that? I said, you need to give, you need to use the Tactics kind of, uh, you know, skills to teach marriage seminars. He started <laughs> laughing. I, I, it really has. I mean, you know, it, it's helped me in my life generally because, you know, as is the case, you know, we get into arguments uh, in, in, with, with our spouses and it just makes sense to say, wait, what do you mean by that? And she says, well, here's what I mean. I say, okay, so I understood you wrong. Yeah. So the argument's kind of over, right? Uh, so, uh, get the book. Uh, I know you highly recommend it. I want to jump to, have you written stuff and where people, where can people get the stuff that you've written? Yeah, I was, uh, I co-authored a book with, um, well, actually let me start first with something I did on Mormonism. When I was at Stand to Reason, I wrote a, a booklet, uh, really based upon all my experience taking students to more, uh, to Utah and engaging with Mormons. You know, if I could kind of boil it down to a, a real, a real primer, a real, you know, beginner's guide, mm -hmm. I wrote a book called The Ambassador's Guide to Mormonism, which you can get. It's on Amazon, or you can go to uh, Standard Reasons website, and they have it there. And that's just if you want a really, just a thin little booklet that will give you a good, quick overview. You could probably read it in, you know, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think that start there. But then I also uh, co-authored a book with a good friend of mine, John Stone Street, who's the president of the Colson Center, uh, really because we have a heart for the next generation. We wrote a book called A Practical Guide to Culture, uh, helping the next generation navigate today's world. And, uh, and so that's really for parents and leaders, church leaders, Christian educators. How do we, how do we navigate all of these issues that young people are facing in the world today. And then we, we followed that up with a student's version and we wrote a, a student's guide to culture, awesome. which is really, it parallels the adult book. So it's a really good resource for parents to read a practical guide to culture and students to read a student's guide to culture together so that it can foster some really good conversation between parents and their, their students. Great. Okay. So the links for those will be in the description box. Uh, so if you want to get them, just it's one click, just hit it it'll take you there and then you can get it and, and it'll get probably delivered to your house. So you, you don't literally, you don't have to do anything for it to like, just, you know, for, uh, I, I, the reason why I mentioned this is because uh, there's so much good content out there. I have benefited from the work of Christians uh, 
um, and uh, just reading their stuff. Even, hey, it's a little booklet. Takes you, whatever, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, two days, whatever. Uh, for you to read that, it's really going to benefit you when you come across someone. Then you're going to not only sound intelligent, you're actually going to know, you know, you know what you're talking about. And and that shows a great deal of love and respect. I actually see that as a, as a method of loving, right? Because if you really love someone, you're going to take the time and put in the effort to study that which they believe and which is very dear to their heart. That is actually a part of what God calls us to do in regards to the loving our neighbor. And so it's very important for us to do that. So, Brett, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day or, or night um, and, yeah. um, and, and joining me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And so blessings. And, uh, yeah. Well, you're, you're, doing your ministry. Work. you're doing good work, man. So keep it up. We need more and more uh, people engaging on the level that you're engaging with. So appreciate you. Okay, for our viewers, thank you very much. God bless you guys, and uh, we will see you later. We have a number of really good interviews set up for this upcoming month, and uh, we will see you uh, when those interviews are taking place. God bless.